I know that's not the uh, loud music that usually gets you going right at the beginning, but I just like the, the point there, family matters at the end, so you go through all those images just as a reminder. When you think through this year, I, I don't know what it's like for you, but I know for me, I usually reflect over the last year and think about what has happened in my own life. And so for me, it's, it's family, it's church. I mean, those two things occupy my time, right? Family and church. And I spend the vast majority of my time doing that. People will be like, oh, what's your hobby? What do you like to do? I'm like, whatever it is with family and church. I'm like, that's pretty much, pretty much what you got time to do. And so family matters. And I think back over just my family in the last year, you know, some of the memories. And I was asking Rebecca last night, I was like, well, what are some of the, the things we did in 2018 that you remember? And she was, she rattled off a couple, couple things. Um, she's like, the biggest one was Havilland Evelyn, having Evelyn. I almost can't say that. It's like a tongue twister. Having Evelyn. So that was, that was a big one. Um, our family had the opportunity to go to Honduras this last year on a mission trip. So that was a lot of fun and, and got to see life, what that was like down there. So uh, we enjoyed that. Uh, so those are some of the big ones that kind of you know, stand out and we remember. And then there's the little ones along the way. But as we reflect back, we think back, man, we got, there's a lot of good memories in 2018. And then you start to think forward, like what's 2019? going to look like? And how can we take what we learned from 2018 and help it and and adjust or plan for for 2019? So that's what we want to take a look at. Now, some of you may be like, I am so glad to be done with 2018. It's one of the worst years of my life. I'm hoping 2019 will be better. Some of you may have fond memories, and certainly there's, there's always going to be bad and good memories in the past, and hopefully there's good memories to be made in the future. But as a church, we want to uh, think about our future and where we're going, and so that's what we do the first Sunday of each year is we, we come back and we look at what our vision and mission statement is for our church to remind us what we want to accomplish, okay? And so hopefully, if, if you're not um, familiar with our mission statement, vision statement, you're going to hear those this morning. If you don't know what Involved Church is all about, maybe we'll answer some of those questions. We also have a class called Involved Church 101, which gives you even more information about our church and what our church tries to do and accomplishes in our community and explains that. So if you'd like to know more about it, we could certainly hook you up with one of those classes and, uh, and explain that. So let's start into just our mission and, and what's uh, what it is we're looking for. Now, a question I want to start with is this one. Do you want to see Involved Church succeed in 2019? Some of you are like, yeah, of course, of course. And I'll just say this, and I don't mean to like throw you under the bus or anything, because I don't know if you said this in your head. But if you're like, eh, (laughs) then most likely you're still kind of figuring out what Involved Church is about, or you're not really concerned about involved church or, you know, thinking about maybe what's going on in your life. Or, I don't know. But if it's just kind of like, eh, then, then probably you're not really connected to involved church at this point. So maybe by the end, you'll be like, oh, I get it. I see what they're trying to accomplish. And, and maybe you'll be like, yeah, that's good. I, I think that lines up with what God wants, because that's ultimately what we want as a church. We want to do what God wants. We believe this is his church, right? So hopefully your answer is yes. Now a question comes up. What does it look like for Involved Church to succeed? I'll pull this up a little further here. Uh, there are a lot, of, a lot of books out there, a lot of thoughts as far as 
what a, a successful church looks like, what a healthy church looks like. I'm going to go just back to a passage that I turn to quite often when I ask this question, um, what, what are the marks of a healthy church? And that's out of Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And what you've got going on here are seven different churches that existed that Jesus writes to, well, John writes to, but, but Jesus comes and talks to John about them and says, these are the issues that they're going through. These are the concerns I have about those seven churches. Now, I don't think we're, we're much different than those churches at the time. And so I think there's a challenge here for us, and these are the things that were important to Jesus, then they ought to be important to us as well, right? So that's what we're going to take a look at. And I'm just going to quickly summarize these because we've, at, earlier when we started Involved Church, we went through these a little bit more. I'm going to summarize them, but that kind of launches us into where we're going from here. So real quick, if Ephesus was a church that was written to, and... Uh, Jesus says, listen, you guys are doing pretty well as far as, you know, your understanding of God's Word and your understanding of doctrine and those types of things, but you have forsaken your first love. So he challenges them to remember where they have fallen from. And really, I think what he's saying is you need to love the good news of Jesus Christ. You need to love the gospel. And remember, that's how you got saved is because of what God has done. So his challenge there for Ephesus is that a healthy church loves the gospel. Second, you go into Smyrna, and he didn't have a lot of bad things to say about Smyrna, but he does tell them, you're about to receive some persecution, and you need to be able to persevere through it. So he gives them a warning that a healthy church, and he marks it this way, a healthy church really perseveres through persecution. And then he moves into the next one, to Pergamum, and he says, listen, you guys are persecuted already, but you're starting to compromise. And sometimes that happens, like when the persecution gets poured on, you start to adjust a little bit and maybe compromise. He says, don't compromise. You're persecuted. Please do it without, being, without compromising. Then he goes to Thyatira, and he says, listen, you guys are in the world, just like we're in the world today. We have jobs. We live in a community. Uh, you know, we function as people in the world, but we can't compromise and that's what happens sometimes. You get into the world and the worries of the world start to, to eat away at us and we begin to compromise our faith. So he tells Thyatira, a healthy church is one that lives in the world but doesn't compromise. And then he goes to Sardis, okay, the fifth church, and he looks at them and he says, you guys have a reputation for being alive, but actually you're dead on the inside. And that was kind of scary because I think us, you know, here we are, we're in a very... Um, image society, you know, strong image society, and that there are people that, that know how to put on a good image. We know how to do that well and cover up the inside. And so I read that one, I'm like, man, that one, it's kind of scary. Because personally, I can see that. And as a church, I think we can see that too. Our Sunday morning, we come in, we do our celebration, we're excited about what we hear, but we don't really share much about what's going on inside and what God's doing there, or what, maybe what sin has been doing in our life. So, so he challenges them to live with integrity. And then he goes to the sixth church here, Philadelphia, and he says, Philadelphia is one that is poor and dependent on Christ, and he really doesn't have anything bad to say about them. But what's funny is, if you and I were to go back in time and look at the different churches, we'd probably start looking through them and say, this one looks pretty healthy, this one looks good. We might come to Philadelphia and say, man, there's something wrong with that church. Because it looks like they're poor, they're broken down, they don't have a lot of strength. And God comes to him and says, you guys are doing great. You're a broken down church. Good job. Keep it up. 
right? And you're thinking, that doesn't sound like the American church, and it's not. But it's the church that is poor and dependent on Christ, and that's what God wants. And the last one he talks about is Laodicea, and there he goes, and he says, you guys are neither hot or cold. Uh, I wish you were one of those, but instead you're lukewarm. I just want to spit you out of my mouth. Anytime you put lukewarm water in your mouth, you're like, oh, I don't like this, right? That's what he says here. You guys are lukewarm, spit you out of my mouth. You're, you're useless. That's kind of harsh. But the point he's making is a healthy church is useful, useful for God. It goes to God, says, hey, you are God, I am not. You are the potter, I'm the clay. Make us, mold us, use us as you want. So those are the marks of a healthy church, loves the gospel, you know, figures out what to do with persecution, move through it, doesn't compromise, lives in the world, uh, has faithful integrity, uh, is dependent on Christ, and is useful. That's what we want to see at Involved Church. Are we perfect at it? No. Are we, are we a messy church with messy people? Yes. Let's, let's be honest, Right? But we're also a church redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And as a redeemed church, we can worship Him, we can strive to be more like Him, we can encourage each other with Christ, and hopefully we draw closer to Him in our relationship. So that's a healthy church and where we're trying to go. This is how we try to get there by our vision and mission statement. Well, not the statement, but what we, what we try to do. So by 2020, uh, imagine what we can accomplish if we work together. Imagine what we can accomplish if we work together. And that means going back to like Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 where it talks about the hands and the mouth and the feet and the nose and the eyes and all those, all the body parts working together, doing what God wants us to do. We could be a healthier church if we try to do that. So here's our, our mission statement. Involved church exists to involve people in an authentic relationship with Jesus. And that comes from the Great Commission, which is found in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Okay, that means we're telling people about who Christ is. We're helping them to see that they can follow Jesus Christ. Okay, of all nations, baptizing them. Okay, so they make that public profession of faith through baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then teaching them, so it's not just that profession of faith and baptism, but then teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded. That's that authentic piece that we wrap in there. We want to teach people who Christ is so that they too can be followers of Christ. Remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So that's our heartbeat. That's our passion. That's why we do what we do. That's why we started Involved Church. That This is what we're trying to accomplish. Okay. Now, a vision statement takes it kind of a step further and says, in the next, you know, upcoming years, what do we want to see happen within the life of the church to, to somehow accomplish this at a, at a very local level here? So Involve wants to do this. Involve people in the life of the church. That's that concept of 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. So we're involving people in the life of the church so that every person in Northeast Nampa, and you could even take that Northeast off of there. That was our original kind of going forward, but really into Nampa and the surrounding areas and has multiple opportunities to hear about, see in action, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we want to be working together. We, we have the name Involved Church for a reason. We want people to be involved. 
Okay? And then you see this always behind us, right? Involving people in the life of Christ, involving Christ in the lives of people. That's what we're working to do together. Involving people in his church, his body, and, and that's you and I and all of us working together to accomplish that. That's our vision. Now, a passage that comes to mind is Acts chapter 15. I'll give you a little bit of the background here. This is a council of 15 people coming together. And uh, what you've got is, is a group that uh, was out there spreading the gospel to the, the Gentiles. And, and the Gentiles were coming to the faith. And the Jews were starting to say, hey, wait a minute. Um, I think if the Gentiles are going to be saved... They should be Jews first, or at least kind of fulfill the Jewish commands. They, they were wrestling with this idea of what it would look like. And so, as they were talking, the council was kind of talking, what really became clear is there was a group of people that basically thought coming to faith in Christ was just kind of the next step for a Jew to do. And, and some of the missionaries, especially to the Gentiles, were saying, no, that's not what it's about at all. It's about placing faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter what your background is. You can place your faith in Jesus Christ. And so they had this discussion for quite a while, and then James gets up and starts to talk and says, guys, this is what we've decided as apostles, the ones who followed Jesus around and were with him for about uh, three years. He comes, he says, therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. He goes on to say this, here's what we should do. Instead, we should write to them to do these few things. Abstain from things polluted by idols. Okay? So don't, don't go around and practice idolatry, basically. Or don't go around and practice sexual immorality, okay? because that's a bad witness and a testimony unto the world. And don't eat anything that has been strangled and from blood. And then you're like, well, that's kind of weird, Right? And the idea there, I think, is, is really you go back and you'll find out that a lot of times when things were strangled or there were uh, sex out there that would, would drink blood and those types of things, when that happened, it was usually associated with idols and foreign gods and those types of things. So again, he was basically making a statement, stay away from other gods. If you're going to accept Jesus Christ as God and you're going to the God the Father as God, then stay with that. And don't mix in with these other gods. So that was, that was the only thing they really said to the Gentiles. You don't have to become Jews. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to observe the Sabbath day and all those types of things and, and follow the dietary laws. But just stay away from the other gods. Stay away from sexual immorality, which is going to hurt your testimony out in the world. That's what they said to him. And here's the reason why I bring this up. I think in churches over the years, one, it can be extremely confusing for people out in the community to know what churches believe. We just need to, I think, state that, understand that. You have churches all over Nampa, right, with different names attached to them, different denominations attached to them. You can walk up to some people, they'll say they're a Christian, but when they begin to talk about their Christian faith, it sounds very works-oriented, like they believe that somehow they're going to earn their way into heaven. So that could be really confusing if over here this church is saying, no, you get to, to faith, or you get to Jesus Christ, you get to God the Father through Jesus Christ. They're saying, well, the, over here it's by works, and here it's saying it's Jesus Christ, and, and it could be really confusing. Now, we believe it's, it's through faith in Jesus Christ, by grace. We believe that's what the Bible teaches. So we continue to put it out there, and it, it really is an easy thing to come to faith on one hand. On the other hand, it's really difficult because when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're submitting to Him. 
And you're saying, you are Lord of my life. You're saying, I do need you. You're saying, I can't make it on my own. And those can be hard words to say. But that's what God asks us to do. We can't make it on our own. We desperately need Jesus Christ. And so it's not difficult as far as a bunch of to-dos, the to-do list, but it is difficult as far as uttering those words and meaning them. I can't do it. I absolutely need you to do it. Well, that's our vision that we can get that message out there to people because people need it. So here's some goals for 2019. That's our background, just going into our our mission and vision and what we're trying to accomplish as a church. Goals for 2019 as we look forward into this next year and what we want to try to accomplish. The first thing I want to talk about is a closer church. John 13.35 is a great passage, great reminder for us. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I think it's in God's desire and plan that we would be a church that cares for and loves one another in such a way that it would be an outstanding, excellent testimony in our community. That people would say, those people that involve church, they actually kind of like each other. Those people that involve church, they actually care for, like, they stick up for one another. Once one of them has fallen, they come along and they help each other along. And out in the community, they're not saying, man, there's some other people in our church that are really messed up, right? They're not ever saying that. Instead, they're talking about how, how great the people are. And they love their, their family. They love their church body, their church family. And that would speak great volumes, a great testimony in our community. Um, one of the things, as I was thinking through, uh, I've had the opportunity to move about three different times, three significant moves in my life. So when I was 21, I moved up to the Seattle area, uh, met Rebecca. We had three children there in the Seattle area. And then uh, about, what was it, 2005, we moved down to the lower Columbia River, little town out there. Um, we moved in that area. We had two sons there, and we, we pastored and ministered in a church there in that community. And then uh, in 2014, we moved here and, uh, and have been living here since then. But one of the things that I discovered as, as you move around is that it takes time to get into a community. Now, it, it varies. Moving up to Seattle and getting into a community usually happens a little bit faster than moving from Seattle and going into a really small rural community like in Kathlamet, Washington, which is where we went to. Um, there, people grow up there. People know each other from the time they were infants. Uh, they went to school together, and so you're always an outsider. Fifty years later, you're an outsider, right, unless you were born and raised there. So that happens in a smaller community, and it's harder to, to get in. But no matter what happens, I feel like every time you move around, you do get to this point where you never feel like it's home, at least for the first two or three years. And I have a theory as to why that is, but I think the main, the main reason is as you move from place to place, when you, like Christmas time comes. We just went through Christmas, right? We just went through Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. When you begin to think back a year ago, and you just moved, where are your memories at? They're back at the last place you lived. 
They're back with those people that you're with. Right? Where's the Christmas tree at? You know, how do I remember the Christmas? Well, it's in a completely different house. What about the meal that we had? Well, it was in a completely different house. And, and it's funny, we may have been with some of the same people, but we're in a different location. And so your memories start to get a little, you know, you start to feel like, oh, back there, back there feels more like home than it does here. Until about three or four years go past. And now your memories are where you live. And that's when it begins to feel a little bit like home. Now, why do I bring all that up? I bring all that up because Involved Church has existed for, you know, going on three, four years for some of us. Some of you may only be a year, maybe six months or something like that. But if you've been here for a while, you're starting to go, hey, this is the church I have most of my recent memories with. And it's starting to feel like home. And so there's kind of an expectation where for some of us, it's, it is like just, it's family, it's not that it's all we've known, but it's in all of our recent memories. And it becomes a little closer. Then if you come in, you know, and it's been maybe only six months or a year or two, and you still have memories from your past, and you're making new memories here, and it just takes a little while for it to feel like it's home again. But as we begin to, to really draw closer together as a church... I think it becomes clear, this is the place God's drawn us to. These are the people that God has put into our lives so we can care for them and love them. And, and there are the memories we have with them are great. And the past that we have with them is great. And we, just, we have those great memories that really help us develop those closer relationships. God wants us to have, I think, those kind of relationships because it, it, it has this kind of effect. So the one thing I usually tell people is, People will come in and be like, there's a couple things usually I'll tell people when they come in, like, I just don't feel like I'm connected yet. Well, sometimes just give it time. Sometimes we come in to a church and we expect it to be the exact same church we came out of. That just doesn't happen that way. Just give it some time. The memories start to build and, and things get better. Life groups are the same way. And that's one of the things I want to talk about. As a church, we want to draw closer together, be a closer family together. And that means, I think, life groups. Life groups is where a lot of that happens. They're extremely important to us. So I want to share with you two things from the get-go that we have put a lot of emphasis on at Involved Church. One is our Sunday morning, and we, we know Sunday morning is for celebration. Okay, it's so a time we come, and, and there's some times where we're connecting with each other and those types of things, but mainly it's for celebration. We come together to sing, to pray, to open God's Word together, and to worship Him. Okay, that's our Sunday morning time, our celebration time. That's primarily its reason. Yeah, there's other things that happen as well, but primarily it's for celebration. Life groups is about connecting. So that's the other thing I'll tell people that are like, I don't know, I just don't really feel very connected. I'll ask the question, have you been in a life group? And not just like, hey, I, I checked one out for a little while. Because again, it takes time. Now here's one thing about life groups. And we just got to be honest with it, because I think in the idealistic world, we, we want life groups to be magical, right? Like a fairy tale. Like we show up at life group, all of our kids are behaving, right? And they're quiet. And every time we say, yes, so-and-so, you may have, you know, just a little bit of the dessert, that they actually listen you know, all those types of things. Like, we, we want that to happen. And then we want, like, perfect discussion, like we open God's Word, and everybody's just pouring their lives out, and people are crying. Oh, 
And we are like, man, look at this. This group is just so close. Or they're excited and joyful because, you know, awesome things are happening. Like, that's what we think. It's like this magical Disneyland that we've just walked into. But it doesn't happen that way. Usually you walk into a life group and you see somebody over there and you're like, what's their name again? And then you go over and you start talking to them. And you start asking questions, and there's, like, there's two types of people, usually. There's the one you ask one question, and you get a full book. You know, like, here it is, and they just rattle it off, and by the end, you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then there's the other one that gives you just one word. Like, how was your week? Fine. So what do you do again? I'm a teacher. Okay, well, we're moving on. You know, and then you just have those awkward, and you don't even know how to, like, continue the conversation. Okay, that's reality. That's a little more like what life group is about. Until you, you get to know each other a little bit more. And you spend a little more time with each other. You connect maybe outside of life group. You go over and you help somebody build a fence or some other project. You connect over coffee. You know, just little things like that. And then, and then things start clicking a little bit more. It takes time. The reality is life group is, is a messed up group of people. It can be messy, and there are people with all kinds of different backgrounds, and we're just trying to make sense of life and encourage each other and pray for each other and help each other along. That's, that's what life group's about. But it's, it's connecting with people. And there are some people that are easier to connect with than other people. There are some people who love to talk a lot, and there are some people that don't like to talk at all. There are some people that say really awkward things, and you feel like, I've never been around that. Like, that's probably you, but no, I'm just kidding. Like, like, I just learned that Josh thinks some of you guys don't have friends this morning, right? <laughs> this is a great place to go and find friends. It's about connecting, and there's all types of different personalities and people. But we try to move past that, look past it, and connect with people and love and care for each other because that's what Christ wants us to do. All right, I better be moving on. I'm talking too much. Um, I'm giving you the book version this morning. Two, a closer church needs to realize that they need a cross-generational community. Okay? Uh, this, is, this is a biblical idea. It's not just something like, oh, this is new or anything like this. This goes all the way back into God's Word. A cross-generational community. Meaning that we shouldn't segregate and be like, okay, now we do this to some extent. We have our children's ministry. We have our youth ministry. We have uh, young adults. We have young marrieds. We have old marrieds. We have married with kids. We have married without kids. We have, you know, all these types of things. And then we start to have all these different groups. I think the picture we see in Scripture is that we're all working together to teach and train each other, and to love and care for each other. I'm just going to read through this passage. You can look at it later if you'd like to in more depth. But this was written to Titus, a pastor uh, himself. Paul writes this to him. He says, You are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in faith, love, and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking, They are to teach what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and love their children, to be self-controlled, pure workers at home, kind and in submission to their husbands, so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. 
Your message is to, be the sound, is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponents will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. Now, there's a lot in there that we can unpack. Like I said, I just want to read to get this main point that the older is supposed to teach the younger. And the younger should respect the older. Now, we're not talking like just a couple years difference. I think he's talking about those who have, have lived a longer life, have wisdom and guidance that can help the younger, and the younger should be able to look to him and say, hey, I respect the older. So this has become difficult to accomplish today, and there's a couple reasons I think why. One, I'll pick on the older generation, okay? We'll start with you guys. Don't worry, I'll pick on the younger generation a little bit, not quite as much. But the older generation... We have a tendency, whether it's through media, uh, our own beliefs, conversations we've had, we have a tendency to badmouth the younger generation. We tend to think in some way that we're superior, that we have it figured out, that we know things that are superior to the younger generation. The younger generation is just some... Millennials, we like to throw that word out there, right? Millennials, that really doesn't know how to work. They just want a high-paying job and not show up to work, right? That's kind of the, 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 the way we picture them. And that has rung in the ears of younger generation to be like, well, they don't really care about us. Listen, if you want to try to bridge the gap and connect with younger people, don't start by saying, you guys need to work a little harder. You guys need to pull your weight around here. You guys need to learn to do this or do that. Don't, that that's going to separate and, and cause a bigger gap from the older generation to the younger generation. Okay? Instead, go to them. Ask them. First, if you don't know who they are, who they are, <laughs> what's your name, you know, figure out who they are, a little bit about their life. Now, if you're asking like a 15 to 25-year-old a little bit about life, t- typically you're going to get something about school, uh, maybe their job, family, whatever it is, listen, and they say, you know what, can I pray for, you know, you've got finals this week. I'd love to pray for you this week. Is that okay with you? I doubt they're going to say no. Pray for them. Listen to what they're going through in life. And then, here's the key, okay? Here's the key. Next week, follow up. When you see them the next time, be intentional. Walk up to them. Say, hey, I've been praying for, say, your finals this week. How'd they go? And you're going to start bridging the gap. You're going to start building a bridge over to that younger generation. They're going to start to say, well, they... They not only talked to me the first week, they talked to me two weeks in a row. And then they prayed for me. Then they asked me. They asked me how my life, you know, how it went. And that's, that's how you start to build those relationships with a younger generation. Okay? So there's just a little bit. There's a lot more that could be done. Um, if you see, especially somebody who's maybe going to college or something like that, I'll tell you what, invite them over to a home-cooked meal. Well, they may say no, and you know, don't pressure them. But if I'm a home cooked meal, they might be like, man, I haven't had one of those in months. And there's an opportunity. And when you invite them over, again, don't pick on their generation. 
Don't show them the millennial videos out there, okay, where the guy's rapping and he's picking on millennials. Okay, I've seen them. You have too. Just care about them and love them. Okay? Now, the younger generation, those of you who are younger, and, and I heard this growing up, and you've heard it to some extent. It's never, never been necessarily been worded this way. But as you grow up, there's been a lot that's just given to you, right? And a lot's been presented, and you've been told that you've gotten a better education than your parents have. You've been told that maybe the future is brighter for you than it is for your parents. You've been told that your parents, um, you know, had, had a pretty good life, and your grandparents had a pretty good life. But if you do this, and you follow this plan, you'll have an even better life. And, and in some sense, you've been told, not necessarily these words, but I think what you've been heard over and over again is this, that you know more than the people who are older than you. You're smarter. You have a better education. And so as you go through life, you start to look at the older generation, you go like, what are they now? That is a lie. Okay? Now, you may know things that they don't know. Yes, you may know how to navigate your smartphone, and they don't. <laughs> but they have a value and worth, too. You want to be valued and, and found worthy, they have a value and worth, too. They have wisdom. They have guidance that they can give you. And so respect those who have gone before you. We go back in Scripture all the time and we read about those who have gone before us in our faith, right? Respect those who have lived out their faith before you. And that will hopefully help us bridge this gap. I think that's what the Bible challenges us to do. The older teach the younger and the younger listen. And, and let's be honest, older people, we can, uh, we can learn from the younger too. Because typically if you buy that new iPhone, where do you go? Right? So we know a little bit about the world and where we're going to go to get some help, but hopefully we'll also seek wisdom across platform and so forth. So, so cross-generational uh, community is really, is really important. Um, I think we could do this in a couple different ways, practically speaking here. We've done some of this in the fall. I hope to do it again maybe this month, next month. We've got a couple busy months coming up. But just having some activities where we do things. Uh, with young people. Uh, I've had opportunity to go on all-church mission trips. I've done youth mission trips, and I've done all-church mission trips. I will do all-church mission trips over youth any day. And the reason being is because of the interaction between the generations. It's priceless. Like, you take for, for a week or a week and a half, you take the whole church, and you've got both youth and people, you know, who are in 50s and 60s, and you start to see them talking to each other, and they come back, and they're friends. Like, that was totally worth it right there. Okay. Cross-generational community is, is important and biblical. Okay, so moving on. A closer church. Another thing we can do is, is open our homes. Okay, I want to challenge you with this for the, the coming year. Open your homes. Invite two different families or couples or singles to your home this year. If you haven't ever done this already, I encourage you to do it. If you have done it, then figure out some other people um, maybe you haven't had over before. Maybe somebody that's in your life group or somebody you see on a Sunday morning and you haven't really got to know them yet. Invite some people over to your home. If you're like, my home just is not set up. It's really hard to do that. Okay, find something else maybe you can do. Invite them into your life to some extent. Um, 
Rebecca and I, we often joke about this. We're like, there's not too many people in this world that want our family coming to their house, okay? And, and it has nothing to do with Rebecca and I. It's just the fact that we bring a whole train of people with us when we come, right? And so it's hard. Like, where do you put them all, right, Boyds? You, you, know, you feel that pain, right? And, and uh, let's see, I know we got, where are you guys at? Monica, yeah, back there. I can't even see you guys. Yeah, Monica, Sean, you guys know what we're talking about. Like, people are like, Okay, it's hard to bring over big families, but there's still ways you can, you can get together um, and do some different things. Or maybe if it's just the big families get together and they just eat outside or something. But um, the other thing to do, if you get the invitation, and I feel funny saying this, but I have to say it because I've heard people say no. So if you get invited, accept the invitation. Um, if people go out of their way to invite you over the house, accept the invitation. Don't come with all excuses. Well, I got this diet. I mean, if you have a diet and you need to tell them, tell them. Usually people accommodate. They're like, okay, well, we can change, you know, do something different. But don't come up with excuses. Accept the invitation to go to someone's house because they're opening it to you. And that means they're opening their life to you. So accept that invitation. So that's a challenge I want to present to you this year uh, two times, and maybe you're going to be ambitious, you're like, I'm going to do it once a month or something like that. Great. But at least two times, invite somebody over to your house, accept an invitation to go to somebody else's house. And then the last point I want to, to go over, goals for 2019, is to get back to outreach. Uh, so we want to have a closer church, uh, and we want to get back to outreach. Now, when we started Involved Church, we, we focused on this a lot. We talked a lot about reaching out into our community. This last year, 2018, there were some great things that we accomplished in 2018. Uh, we, we got our leadership structure. We got a lot of our, our structure as far as how things are, are done here on a regular basis on Sunday morning, uh, small groups. We had uh, discipleship groups start for both men and women this year. Um, we purchased a, a, a building for us to have a residency program. We started the residency program. We have office space. I mean, there was, you look back at 2018, and I'm tired. And I'm like, okay, now I realize why I'm tired. Like, there's just a lot that happened. But one of the things, I think, as we went through it, that just started happening because we were so busy doing all these other things, is you start to look at outreach, and you go, that's another thing to do. And sometimes you're like, oh, it's tiring. So we've got a lot of pieces put into place this last year, I think it's time for us to look back and say, how are we doing on outreach? So here's the first thing we need to do. One, pray for a heart to reach the lost. If we've been focused on so many other things and we've, our heart just feels kind of cold towards outreach, then pray for a heart to reach the lost. There are people out there that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We don't want them dying without that knowledge. Pray for a heart to reach the lost. If you're like, I don't know if I can, I can ever, you know, how to get there. Here, here's a very practical way. It's not as easy to do today because a lot of us don't get newspapers probably. But if you do, or if you want to open it up on your computer or phone, go through obituaries. I know that doesn't sound very encouraging or happy or fun or anything. Go through obituaries and ask the question, I wonder if that person knew Jesus Christ. I wonder if that person knew Jesus Christ. Where are they today? And you may develop a heart for reaching the lost. Pray for that heart to reach the lost. Maybe do some practical things like that. 
follow through with Pi Cubed. We have a Pi Cubed card. Um, you can get it. Uh, you can get it. It's pray, invest, invite, involve, and you put four different people on there if you'd like to be praying for them. Look for ways to in, invest, spend time talking to them, uh, invite them into a conversation about Jesus Christ, invite them to church, invite them to life group, one of those types of things. And then if they respond and they start asking questions, involve them in church, get them coming, get them involved in a life group. Hopefully, they'll accept Christ before, during, somewhere in there. They'll accept Christ as Lord and Savior. But it all starts with that prayer. Pray for them. So by 2020, what can we accomplish together? I think we could do big things, even more than we did in 2018, which is a lot. But we can even do more in 2019. How is God using Involve to stretch you? Here's a couple challenge questions to throw up here, and then we'll, we'll go ahead and close and give you some time to reflect on these. How is God challenging you to step out of your comfort zone this year? Now, you have response cards. Response cards are there. If you're a visitor, we'd love you to fill it out, and, and then we can uh, follow up with you this week. Uh, if you've been here for a month, two, maybe a couple years, you can write on the back if you're saying, hey, I'd like you to pray for this. I'd love to pray for you this week on some of these points. How is God challenging you to step out of your comfort zone this year? And the second one, what can you do to help bring the people of Involved Church closer together. You can write on there, Pastor Ryan, I don't like opening my house. It's hard for me to do it. But that's an area where I'm challenged this year. Uh, will you pray for, pray for me? Something along those lines. Um, I, I'd love to pray with you, follow up with you. If you have questions, you can put on there, can you contact me this week? Something along those lines, and we can follow up on your response. So I want to give you that opportunity. Um, one thing before I close and give you about a couple minutes to reflect on these, I just want to give a little plug. Tonight we are having the financial class. Um, if you have questions on that, you just want to come to it, please come tonight. It's a way for us as a church to encourage you. I know finances uh, can be a, a struggle, and so I want to remind you of that. And, and nobody's there to, to throw stones <laughs> at anybody who comes in. We're not going to talk about it next Sunday. I'm not going to bring you up front and say, hey, these are all the financial class people. No, we're not doing that. We just want to say, hey, we want to help in any way we can. And so I encourage you to come to that if you'd like to. Think about these questions. Reflect on any of those. Any other questions you may have, you can respond on that response card as well. Thanks.